Oh, good morning, Journey. So since we're celebrating Blue Sunday and kind of getting in the feel of baseball season, I thought I would start off by introducing you or maybe reintroducing you to one of the greatest baseball players um, who ever played the game of baseball. His name's Ted Williams. Ted Williams played baseball for 19 years for the Boston Red Sox. All 19 years, he was an all-star. Uh, six times, he was the American League batting champion, which means he had a higher batting average than anyone in the American League. The last two times, he was 39 and 40. I want you to think about that. Those of us who are 40, can you imagine at this stage in your life being one of the best hitters um, in the world? Twice he won the American League MVP. Twice he won the American League Triple Crown. You say, what does that mean? It means he had the highest batting average, most home runs, and most RBIs to anyone in the American League. Uh, he actually took five years off from playing baseball to fight in World War II, three in World War II, two in the Korean War, different kind of ball player back then. Um, but really, he's known and celebrated today for 1941 when he ended the season with a batting average of 406. It's the last time in baseball that anyone has hit in the 400s. And here's the thing you need to know about baseball. They say hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports. Hitting a round ball with a round bat, traveling 100 miles an hour in and 100 miles an hour out, they say it's the most difficult to thing to do in sports. And if you can do it three out of 10 times, you will not only go to the Hall of Fame, you'll probably make hundreds of millions of dollars playing baseball. I want you to think about that. If you fail seven times out of 10, you can be one of the very best who's ever done it. Think about school teachers, that being the percentages that you have to achieve. Think about telling a class of 30, listen, if nine of you pass this year, I will win teacher of the year. Think about if you're a surgeon telling 10 of your patients, three of you, I promise, are going to come out of surgery. Like, right? Imagine if you're an attorney telling your clients, three out of 10, I'm going to get. If you hit a baseball three out of 10 times, you're going to make $100 million and you're going to go to the Hall of Fame. And Ted Williams did it four times out of 10. He was that much better than everyone else. And when you read the stories about his life, kind of a crazy, interesting life, his head right now is still cryogenically frozen so his family can bring him back. Back to life when technology catches up with it. Kind of a, a weird guy. Um, but when you read about what made him great, they're like, what made Ted Williams a great hitter? They didn't talk about his hands. They didn't talk about his hand-eye coordination. They said the thing Ted Williams had more than anyone else is he had the ability to see the baseball. They said his eyes were better than anyone else in the game. And they said he was able to have so much more success than everyone else because he could see so much better than everyone else. He told his teammates he could count how many times the ball was rotating as it was coming towards him because he could see the seams on the baseball and how the ball was moving. He succeeded more than everyone else because he could see more than everyone else. And I don't know if you know it, but that's the exact same way Christianity works. We are told in scripture that the more we can see Jesus, the deeper we can see spiritual things, the more success we'll have in our spiritual journey. So my goal the next two or three Sundays at our church is going to be to help you open your eyes to see more than you've ever seen spiritually so you might have more success than you've ever had spiritually. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you have some strings in your Bibles, throw those in there or mark it. We'll be there the next three weeks. Pull out your bulletin so you can take notes or fire up your Journey Church International app. We're going to spend the next three weeks studying verse by verse Colossians chapter 1 through 17. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. But we're in a series called Finding Your Way Back to God. And here's the whole premise of this series. We want to help you walk with God 
more than you do right now. If you've been away from God a little bit, I think you might learn in this series why that is, why we can drift so much spiritually. If you've been walking with God a lot of your life, but you just want more, I think you'll be able to learn how to do that in this series. Or if you've got a friend who's been saying, hey, teach me what it looks like to walk with God. You will learn that in this series, and we're going we're gonna to live in Colossians 3 the next three weeks. Now, let me give you some background on Colossians before we jump in to this series. Colossians was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church he'd never even visited. Um, this church was started by a man named Epaphras. It was started in his home after he became a Christian at a, at a revival in Ephesus. Maybe like some of you last week, you went to church, you became a Christian. He went home and invited all of his friends over and said, I want you to become Christians too. And he started a, a church in his home. Now, Ephesus was 120 miles from Colossae. So if you can imagine traveling from Lee Summit to Columbia, Missouri to go to church, hearing about Jesus, and then coming back to Lee Summit to start a church, that is what happened. But as we look at Colossae on this map up here, you see this little green dot, very interesting location of Colossae, because as we get into the fall, we're going we're gonna to study some information in the book of Revelation. We're going to study letters written to the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Saurus, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. This was actually a postal route. The boat carrying the mail would come there. They'd hit Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. They get back on the boat and go home. These seven cities all had a letter written to them by Jesus in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. We will, as we get back to school, study those letters. We're going to call it, we've got a series called Notifications from Jesus. Jesus kind of emails from heaven um, to these churches and what he says we need to be aware of in the future church. So that's going to be a really cool series. But Colossae was right there in the center of that church world. Number three, the church in Colossae had a very basic, but sometimes a mistaken view of what Christianity was. The church in Colossae had a very basic but sometimes mistaken view of what Christianity was. So Paul wrote him a book. Epaphras wrote to Paul and said, hey, I heard about Jesus through you. I've started a church. We really don't know what we're doing. Can you help us? Paul wrote back and he wrote the book of Colossians to help people center their faith on Jesus. And as we get into Colossians chapter 3, remember the whole point of this book is to help people center their faith on Jesus. We start in the first four verses of Colossians 3 today and here's what Paul says. Since then... You have been raised with Christ. Let's stop right there. Some of you did that last week at Easter, right? We talked about coming out of the tomb. Paul is saying, since you're Christians. So if you're in this room and you're a Christian, this book is written for you. Or if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, uh, you're always welcome here. I think you'll learn a lot about Christianity and what it should look like through this series. So keep coming back to hear what Christianity looks like. But if you're a Christian, this book is for you. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. If you're a Christian, he's now talking to you. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul's writing this book to help this church that has a basic but sometimes bad understanding of Christianity. He's trying to help them follow Jesus. And here's what you need to know. There's a big difference in the heart of someone who has a basic understanding of Christianity and a bad understanding of Christianity. There's a difference in the heart of someone who just says, I'm just learning this, and someone who says, I'm kind of going my own way. There's a difference in their heart, but the destination is often the same between basic Christianity 
and bad Christianity. I end up just kind of drifting from God and not following Jesus well. And maybe that's where you are. Not because you've got anything wrong with your heart, but you've just not learned a deep enough way to follow Jesus. If that is you, like Ted Williams, I want to try to help you have more of an ability to succeed spiritually by opening your eyes to some of the deeper truths of Scripture the next three weeks. Paul begins showing us how to see spiritually by first teaching us, number one, critical mistakes that we might be making in our faith. Paul teaches us how to see spiritually by showing us critical mistakes that we might be making in our faith. Before Paul says, here's how you walk with Jesus. Paul says, here's how you don't walk with Jesus. And you need to make sure this isn't your understanding of Christianity so I can wipe this slate clean and then teach you how to follow Jesus. What are those critical mistakes in your faith? Paul said mistake number one is believing that your Christianity revolves around Sunday. Like if you believe that Christianity revolves around Sunday, you've made a critical mistake in your faith that eventually is going to cause you to drift spiritually. Now, Paul doesn't say these exact words, don't have a Christianity that revolves around Sunday, but that's what he's referring to in Colossians 2.16. If you have your Bible open, for me, it's still the exact same page. I just flip over to the left, and we see in Colossians 2.16, Paul say this. He says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. Now, if you didn't grow up as an Orthodox Jew, that verse means absolutely nothing to you. You say, how do you get out of that, that church can't be based on Sunday? Listen, these things that Paul talked about, these are all Jewish laws that you could keep on a schedule without really ever thinking about God. These were routines that you could get into without ever really following God. If Colossians was written to Christians who had kind of gotten into routine of doing church stuff but didn't really connect to God, Colossians written to Christians would say something like this. You aren't judged based on where you go to church, how you celebrate Christmas and Easter, if you've been in Awana or gone to vacation Bible school or youth camp, or even how often you go to church on Sunday. What Paul is trying to teach us is this spiritual truth. Following Jesus is not a bunch of rituals that you keep. Like following Jesus, being a Christian is not just going to church going to Sabbath, keeping the Passover in the Jewish terms of faith. Christianity is not just having a bunch of rituals that you keep. Rituals and routines are important as long as they're pointing you to Jesus. But when they take the place of Jesus, and you're, then the foundation of your faith is based around the ritual rather than the relationship. Paul says you've made a critical mistake in your faith and you are going to drift. Colossians 2.16 deals with external diets. It deals with days that they were supposed to keep spiritual festivals on. These all became scheduling commitments rather than spiritual commitments. I mean, they changed how people went to the grocery store, but not how they lived. They changed when they would have family gatherings, but not how their family lived. And listen, when the most visible change created by your faith is in your schedule and not your spirit, you've made a critical mistake in your faith. When the most visible change created by your faith is in your schedule and not your spirit, you've made a critical mistake in your faith. Say, Christian, break that down a little bit for me. If I were to ask somebody in your life, tell me why you think this person loves Jesus, speaking of you. And they said, because they go to church. 
Your Christianity may revolve around your schedule and not your spirit. If I said, tell me why you believe this person's got spiritual commitment in their life. If they said, because they always go to church. They're seeing your schedule more than they're seeing your spirit. And Paul says it's possible to do all the spiritual stuff but never ever change spiritually. If the answer to the question in your faith, why does someone think you have faith is because you go to church? You may be making this critical mistake in your life, so you need to reroute a little bit because Jesus didn't come to change your schedule. He came to change you, right? Like Jesus didn't come for a couple hours on Sunday. He came for every day of your life. Jesus didn't come so your schedule looked different. He came so your life would look different. Spiritual routines are important, but only if they point you to Jesus and don't take the place of having a relationship with Jesus. That's mistake number one. Mistake number two is this. Paul said you can't have a Christianity that revolves around Sunday, but you also can't have a Christianity that revolves around some day. Don't have a Christianity that revolves around Sunday. My faith takes place one hour a week. And don't have a Christianity that revolves around Sunday. My faith is for heaven, but really not for now. Don't make Christianity just about going to heaven one day. So if I were to ask someone, tell me why you believe this person has faith. And they said, because they go to church. You may have made the mistake of making Christianity about Sunday. If I ask you, tell me why you follow Jesus. And you said, so I can go to heaven when I die. You may be making the mistake of making Christianity about someday rather than every day. Listen to how Paul says this in Colossians 2.18. We really kind of got to break this down and bring it into our context. But here's what Paul is saying about this mistake. He says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they've seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Here's what Paul's saying. There's a lot of people who believe like faith is this super spiritual stuff that's way out here, but they never implement any of it in their daily lives. It never impacts their marriage. It never impacts their parenting. It never impacts their, their family. It never impacts their friendships. It never impacts their job. Faith is for spiritual things. You, you know, idle conversations about spiritual things. Here's the spiritual truth Paul's trying to unpack. Following Jesus is not just a mystical spiritual experience you have, but it doesn't really change you. You say, why do you have faith? Oh, for the spiritual things. Well, what are spiritual things? You say, oh, when there's a crisis and I need to believe that I can still have hope. When I need to trust something bigger than myself in uncertain times. When somebody near me dies and I need comfort. When things get bad and I want to pray. Um, when I die, I want to go to heaven. Spiritual things. Like, why do you have faith? For the spiritual stuff in life. But not for any of the everyday stuff. You might say Christianity makes me feel good about the things that I don't understand but I haven't really pursued it any further in the everyday life that I have. Listen, when you think about your relationship with Jesus only from an eternal perspective, you've made a critical mistake in your faith. Why do you follow Jesus? Well, because I want to go to heaven one day. Paul says, okay, that is a good, that's a good reason. That's a reason to follow Jesus. But when that becomes the destination, you're going to drift in your life from God and you've got to find your way back. Christianity is not just about someday. And before Paul gets to Colossians chapter 3 and gives us this truth of how to walk with Jesus, in Colossians chapter 2, he gives us two big spiritual truths. He says, listen, when the foundation of your faith is Sunday, when the foundation of your faith is someday, you're going to miss almost everything that God has for you, and you're going to experience very little transformation. 
And maybe you found yourself drifting a little bit because you've been busy on Sunday. If I've been able to stay close to Jesus, I've been busy on Sunday. Faith isn't just about Sunday. You say, well, I haven't really thought much about God, but if I got cancer, I would think about him a lot because I would realize maybe eternity was closer. Christianity isn't just about someday. And if Sunday or someday is the foundation of our faith, we're going to miss everything else that Jesus has for us. And our lives won't change. Paul said these are critical mistakes to be aware of. And once you're aware of those, he said you can lean into if Christianity isn't just Sunday or someday, what is it? Paul says, let me tell you. And he gives us number two, what I call crucial messages for your faith. He says, don't make these critical mistakes because here are the crucial messages of what Christianity really is. In Colossians chapter two, Paul begins this way. Colossians 2.1. He says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea. So he says, I'm I'm fighting for you. Man, I'm really for you. I want to help you spiritually. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. He said, listen, I'm praying for you that you can really know Jesus, like really understand the depth of Jesus. And he said, I'm praying that for both you and Laodicea. Remember the map? Laodicea is one of those churches right next to Colossae, 10 miles from each other. We know a little bit about Laodicea if you've studied the book of Revelation like we will this fall. Laodicea in Revelation 3.16, God called him lukewarm. He said, you're lukewarm. He said, you're not hot, you're not cold. I wish you were one or the other. Your faith is just so lukewarm. You're just kind of tepid. You're no good for anybody. So if, if Laodicea is described as lukewarm, then Colossae would be described as shallow. So if Laodicea is lukewarm water, it's not hot, it's not cold, it's right in the middle. Colossae is shallow water. Like don't dive in head first. Paul says, I'm really praying for you because I, I want you to get deep in your faith. You're not there yet, but I want you to get deeper in your faith than thinking it's just about Sunday. It's just about someday. I want to help you get deeper in your commitment to Jesus. They didn't understand the depth of Christianity. You know, one of my favorite things to do is I take road trips with my family is, is go visit stadiums. Um, my dad was a stadium junkie. I'm a stadium junkie. If I go to any city that has an NFL team, a major league baseball team, an NBA team, a hockey team, I will try to go to the stadium. If I'm heading from one place to another and I pass through a city that has a stadium, I'll take a detour just to go see stadiums. I love to see and visit and try to get into in legal ways. I say that now because everything is recorded. So I try to get into in legal ways, officer, um, every stadium that I ever visit. Um, but, but I love stadiums. Because I'm from southern Ohio, and about an hour from my house is one of the most legendary stadiums in college football, Ohio Stadium, where the Ohio State Buckeyes play. It holds over 100,000 people. If you say, how big is that? If you would put Kauffman Stadium and Arrowhead Stadium together, that's about how many people Ohio State's stadium holds. And when you drive through Columbus, Ohio, you can see it from everywhere. I mean, it's the biggest thing in the city. 
And every time I go through, like when I'm driving through Kansas City, one of my first trips on I-70, I saw Arrowhead and Kaufman, and I had to get off and go drive around him and see him, see if there's an open door so I could get inside and take a picture of the field and see what was going on. I love stadiums. But as a kid growing up in Ohio, you develop a natural rivalry with Michigan. And I always wanted to go to Michigan's stadium because Michigan Stadium is called the Big House. It is the largest stadium in America. Show a picture of it, guys, if you would. It holds about 114,000 people. 114,000 people can watch a football game at Michigan in the big house. And I always wanted to go to Ann Arbor because I thought, man, I, I can only imagine of all the stadiums that I've seen, if this one is the biggest, I can't wait to visit it. And you drive into Ann Arbor, which isn't a big city. It doesn't have a lot of big buildings. And you drive in and you're thinking as you drive into the city, where is it? Then you're thinking as you drive onto the campus, where is it? And then finally you have to ask directions. It's like, there's a stadium around here that holds 110,000 people. Where is it? And they're like, oh, it's right there. And you drive up to it and you're like, well, that's not a very big, like, that's not a very big stadium at all. It's like 20 feet high. How does a stadium like that hold 110,000 people? And they said, we have to go in. And when you step into the stadium, you realize the top of the stadium is at ground level and everything else is underneath. Not until you get inside of it. Can you see the impact of it because of the depth of it? That's Christianity. Most people in our community see this when we talk to them about Christianity. We say, oh, Christ has radically changed my life. And they're like, it's not that impressive. Okay, you go to church on Sunday. You're like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I've, I've begun to follow Jesus. And they're like, it doesn't look that impressive. And that's because until you step inside of a relationship with Jesus and begin to experience the depth of a relationship with Jesus, you don't really experience all the impact of what Christianity can be. That's why Paul told the church at Colossae, you're shallow now, but I'm praying you'll get deep because if you want people to see the impact of God, you got to get deep spiritually. What does it look like to begin to have depth in our faith? Two things I want to show you that the Apostle Paul lays out in Colossians chapter 3. Message number one. Paul said, here's what you need to understand. Christianity is a person. Right? Christianity is not about Sunday. It's not about someday. Christianity is a person. I want you to look at Colossians 3 one more time. If you have a pen, I want you to read it with a pen. Or if you know how to highlight on your tablet or phone as you, as you do that, I want you to highlight or circle some things. Read it again with a pen. Here's what Paul says. Since then. You have been raised with Christ. Circle the two words with Christ or underline them. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ. Circle those two words where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Circle those two words with Christ again in God. When Christ. Circle those two words when Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him. Circle or underline those words, with him in glory. I don't know if you saw it, but Paul said, listen, I'm going to take you from elementary basics of Christianity, thinking it's about going to church, thinking it's about going to heaven, and I'm going to redirect you to this person. I'm going to redirect you to Christ because Christianity is being with Christ. Christianity is being where Christ is. Christianity is being with Christ. Christianity happens when Christ comes into our life. Christianity is being with him. Like Paul says, Christianity is a person. It's Christ. Christ is a Greek word. The Hebrew word is Messiah. The English word is Savior. Paul says Christianity is attaching your life to the Savior. His proper name is Jesus. 
So Christianity is being with Jesus. Christianity is having a relationship with Jesus. So how is your relationship with Jesus? For those of you who are in kind of the Lee Summit School District, maybe the others do it too. Have you all ever heard of Flat Stanley? Like the, like the little guy that you cut out and your kids have to send him to grandma or grandpa and they have to take this little guy around and they have to take pictures on some crazy trip. It's kind of like this little you know, gingerbread man that, that goes on trips with you and he's everywhere with you. Well, as I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about Jesus, I said, you know, I need a flat Jesus. So I called my sister Michelle and I said, Michelle, make me a flat Jesus. I want a flat Jesus to take with me this weekend. My son had a baseball tournament in Branson this weekend with his uh, team, Summit Christian Academy. So we were down in Branson and I said, I'm gonna, I wanna take flat Jesus with me in Branson. I wanna be aware that I'm with Jesus. So I took Jesus with me to Branson this week. He went to the baseball games with me. And you'd be amazed when Jesus is with you and you're aware of that, how much nicer you are to the umpires when they, when they, like when they make a bad call. Like when the ball's outside and he calls strike, strike three on your kid and you want to stand up and say something, but you see like Jesus and it's like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be nicer. We went to our favorite barbecue restaurant in Branson, Dana's Barbecue, which is just awesome. We love it. We eat there every time we're there. And we took Jesus with us. It's amazing how much more generous you are tipping when Jesus is with you. Because you know, you're like, okay, I represent Jesus. He's here. You know, would he give her an extra dollar? Like, of course he would. Jesus is, it just changes you when Jesus is with you. Um, And then I took him in the hotel room and it's funny how you look more carefully at what shows you choose to watch when Jesus is in the room with you. I just took this random picture only later that I look at the titles and I thought, whoa, there's some interesting shows there that probably Jesus wouldn't watch. Probably Flipping Virgins. I don't know what it means, but it doesn't sound like a Jesus show to me. Hollywood Medium Channel 61. Jesus is probably definitely not watching that. Jersey Shore, no chance, right? It's like we, like we know... It's like, yeah, Jesus is not watching. It's just fun to be reminded and aware of Jesus. One of the things I love about our church, we have so many people come to our church who don't go to church. Like we have so many people connected to Journey who haven't grown up in church. They don't know much about Christianity, so they don't even know what's right to say or not to say to the preacher. It's so brand new to them. They love Jesus, but they, they're just very basic in their faith. And a couple of years ago on Valentine's Day, I was talking to one of the men who didn't grow up in church, became a Christian, started coming to our church after church. And he said, what are, you, what are you and Danielle doing for Valentine's Day? And I said, we'll probably, you know, go grab some dinner and see a movie somewhere. Um, and he said, are you going to see Fifty Shades of Grey? It was one of the Valentine's Day that it came out. And I said, um, no, we probably will not. We probably won't go see that movie. And he said, yeah, you know, you're a pastor. He said, are you afraid that someone from Journey might be there and see you? And I said, no, I'm not afraid Someone from Journey might be there and see me. I'm aware that someone from heaven will be there and will see me. And I just said, listen, you got to understand, when you become a Christian, you open up a place in your life for Jesus to send his spirit to live, and he never leaves. So like everything you watch, he's there. Everything you listen to, he hears. Like Christianity is walking with Jesus, and he said, I've never... I never, I never even thought about that. I love that about our church because that is such an easy conversation to have. The harder conversation to have is talking to the Christian who knows that, but who has forgotten that. And you say, you know, what's your plan? Like you've been in church all your life. And when you go see something, you know Jesus wouldn't see. Like, do you ask him to sit in the car? I mean, what's, what's your mental process as someone who knows Jesus is with you 
going to do something to like what? Do, I mean, do you just say stay here? Like when you're having a bad day at work and you pick up the phone to cuss out one of your employees because you're upset or someone who made you mad. I mean, do you just ask him to step out of the truck for a minute? I mean, help me understand what your thought process is that you have forgotten that Jesus is with you. Like when you spend your tithe on something else, do you just tell him to kind of look away? Do you, do you try to hide your wallet so he doesn't see? I mean, what is the plan for someone who knows Jesus is always with them? What is the plan when we do things he would never do, watch things he would never watch, listen to things he would never listen to, spend in ways he would never spend? Teenagers, what's your plan when you're downstairs on the couch? Do you ask him to stay upstairs with mom and dad? What's the plan for those of us who know better, but just kind of stick him in our back pocket, right? Such an easy conversation to have with new Christians. They don't even know it. But old Christians, it's like, what do you do with Jesus when you go do all that stuff? Like, well, you know, I worship Jesus on Sunday. Christianity is not just about Sunday. Well, I'm going to see Jesus when I go to heaven. Christianity is not just about someday. Christianity is a person. His name is Jesus And when you invite him into your life, he never leaves you. He's always there. And listen, here's my very, very firm belief. You won't have any more of Jesus' presence in heaven than you do on earth. You'll just have a more constant awareness of it and less distractions to it. I truly believe that. He said he'll never leave us. You'll never have more access or opportunity than Jesus' presence in heaven than you do on earth. You'll just be more constantly aware of it, and I believe you'll have less distractions to it. So you say, how do I walk with God? You have to have a huge awareness of Jesus. Christianity is a person. His name is Jesus. But Paul also says, number two, Christianity is a place. Christianity is a place. It's not a place you go. It's a place that comes to you. It's called the kingdom of God. Say, how do I develop depth? We start realizing Christianity is a person and Christianity is a place. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul said, set your heart above. Paul said, set your mind above. You say, how do I begin to live as if I literally am already in the kingdom of God? Three things, three steps. Step one, you got to seek heaven. Step two, you got to think heaven. Step three, if you begin to seek heaven and think heaven, eventually you'll begin to live on earth as you do in heaven. You say, how do, I, how do I begin in my mind to start living as if I'm living in the kingdom of God? Because remember, Jesus told his disciples when they said, are you now going to restore the kingdom? He said, it's already among you. Like through my spirit, the kingdom of God is already among you. How do we see it? How do we live in it? Paul says, seek heaven in your heart. Think about heaven with your mind. And eventually you'll live on earth as you'd live in heaven. You say, that phrase sounds familiar. It is Jesus told us to pray it for our life. Remember that part of the Lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek heaven, think heaven, begin to live on earth as you live in heaven. Question for you, a lot of churches in Lee Summit. A lot of churches in Lee Summit. If every Christian this week, if every Christian this week lived this week like they would live in heaven, would our community look different this week? If every Christian this week lived, just every every conversation they had this week, every conflict they had this week, every time someone needed help, if we this week lived on earth the exact same way we would live if we were in heaven and every Christian in our city did it, would our city look different? Yes, yes. So I get confused. I wonder if we're like Colossae. 
I see all these church parking lots filled every Sunday, but our community doesn't look different. And it's like, we must have Christians who are not yet living in the kingdom of God, even though they can. See, I want to do that. How do I do it? You have to invite Jesus into your life, not just into your heart. Right? You have to invite Jesus into your heart, you have to, into your life. You've got to take him to the ball games with you and let him change how you do stuff. You've got to take him into restaurants with you and let him change how you do stuff. You've got to take him on trips with you and put him up on the TV and let him help you choose what you should watch. Let him ride in the car with you and tell you what you should listen to. Let him become an ever-present help in your life. So there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians in our community that have given Jesus Sunday. There are a lot of Christians in our community that have given Jesus someday. Jesus is looking for more who will give him every day. And that's the challenge of Colossians chapter 3. You say, how do I do that? Paul gives us kind of a simple little layout in Colossians 3. He said, being with Jesus in his kingdom is as simple as one confusing phrase. That day, one day, this day. That's what Paul said. Being with Jesus in his kingdom is as simple as one confusing phrase. That day, one day, this day. Paul says since that day. Since. Since you had a day in your life where you decided to follow Jesus. That day. Since you had that day. And since you have one day where you're actually going to be with him physically. Since you have a day you've committed to live with Jesus spiritually. Since that day exists. And since one day you'll be with him physically. Since that day exists. On this day. Live like you meant it and you're headed there and let it be a bridge. That day, one day, this day. That day I said I was going to follow Jesus. Many of you have that day. One day you're going to be with Jesus. Many of you have that day, this day, and every day. Are you going to follow Jesus and will the outside show what is happening on the inside? You know, it's funny that the first way you can show outwardly that you're changing on the inside according to scripture begins with baptism Jesus said listen if you have that day where you decided to follow me and one day you're going to be with me really the only way to show people that is by changing on the outside and here's the first outer thing you can do to prove interchange you can be baptized Paul actually talked about it to the church in Colossians chapter 2 here's what he said to them he said in Christ you've been brought to fullness he's saying your life is now spiritually alive In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. So the covenant sign of Israel that they were being born spiritually was literally to be born spiritually and for the males to be circumcised. And there was a thought that they were passing on this spiritual gene. Paul said, you're not passing on spiritual gene now from mom and dad. God literally has birthed you spiritually. Here's how you show what has happened on the inside. Having been buried with him in baptism, you're then raised with him through your faith in the working of God. Who raised him from the dead. See, if you're in here, you say, okay, I've done the baptism thing. Okay, Jesus says the baptism thing just gets you ready every day to step out and say, I had that day in my life, I had one day in my future, so this day belongs to Jesus. Like you can't be baptized every day, but it's the first day of saying, because I had that day, because I'm gonna have this, that day, this day, I want people to know that I follow Jesus. You know, if you've not been baptized yet, our next baptism service is next Sunday. In one of our services after church, you can be baptized with people and share your story. You say, what does baptism do? It becomes a bridge between that day and one day. It says to people, there's a day in my past I said yes to Jesus. There's a day in my future I'm going to meet him. So on this day, 
outwardly, I want to show everyone what's happened inwardly. And if you've been baptized, your journey of showing people on the outside what has happened on the inside has just begun. It's not ended. It's not over. Baptism is the first day of showing people on the outside what is happening on the inside. And for a lot of us to get there, we've got to have more of a reminder, right, that Jesus is with us. He's with us everywhere. And that changes our faith. It deepens our faith. You know, when I was a little kid, one of my favorite cartoons was Thundercats. These were just like the coolest guys on the planet. And the leader of the Thundercats, his name was Lino. He was tough. He had this little glove and he had a sword. He was so cool. Panthro was one of his sidekicks. That a little like dog cat thing called Snarf that followed him around. But I love the Thundercats. I watched it every day when I was a kid. And Lino had this special sword that when things were going wrong, like his mane would begin to stand up. He'd know something was wrong. And he'd take his sword and he'd hold it up to his face. And he would say, sight beyond sights. The title of our message today. He would say, sights beyond sight, show me whatever he wanted to see. And he would be able to see into the future what was going to happen so that he would then be able to know what he needed to do to, to have success. You know what Paul is trying to do with the Colossians? He's trying to teach them to see into the future how they can live their life with spiritual success. He literally is saying, if you can learn to think about heaven, if you can learn to see heaven, if you can learn to see what's coming, and you you don't make these critical mistakes and you learn these crucial messages, you're going to really be set up well for success spiritually. And Paul says, here's what that looks like. In Colossians 3, 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears. Hey, when Christ appears, man, you'll know. You'll appear with him and your life will be transformed deeply. When Jesus begins to show up in your life every day, you'll know that you're moving in the right direction. So I want you, as you go back to your car, to realize he's there. As you go back to work tomorrow, I want you to realize he's there. As you go home and turn on the television this afternoon, he's there. And if he's in your life, he's not going anywhere. He promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you.